Table Collective Podcast. I'm so thrilled that you are with us wherever you come from. And we're especially excited today. Uh, well, if, first of all, as always, to have the, the table crew here, Malika Cox, Lance Rodman, uh, this beautiful pastoral team. But we have a really special guest today, and I am a huge fan. Uh, Sarah Cunningham is an author, activist. She is the founder of Free Mom Hugs that just does extraordinary work. I've been following them um, for a long time, I guess, now. And she is just one of the voices out there that fills me with so much with so much hope, and especially for this conversation on inclusion, I couldn't imagine a, a, a better guest to have uh, than Sarah. And we're just so uh, grateful for the remarkable space that she's that she's carving out, and also just for her journey. I think some of the people who are listening, some of the folks that we're in contact with right now, are on some kind of a journey theologically and culturally and spiritually. And so I love what her story means for so many of us because I think it's almost kind of a a representative story in, in so many ways. So all to say, Sarah, we really are just so thrilled that you're with us. Thank you for taking the time to be here. It means a lot. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. And I almost feel like I, I need to put on a, I have a flat Sarah that we're sending out to our chapters. And I, I feel like sometimes it's an imposter syndrome that I need to put that mask in front of me as you're introducing me, because um, even though I am all of those things, um, it just is something that I just felt accountable to do. I think any one of us in the situation that I have been in would have done the same. So thank you for the introduction, but I'm just doing what I'm accountable to do. Absolutely. I, no, I totally hear that. Well, and, and, and I would love to just because uh, I really do want to talk about your story. Um, the, for this June podcast in particular, as we talk about inclusion and I, I mean, of course, there's a lot to that for us, and LGBTQIA stories are uh, not not the only kind of stories we talk about when we talk about inclusion. And yet, at the same time, I feel like it's such a hinge point for so many people, especially because I think for those of us, which I, I believe would be everybody present here, actually, um, who grow up in settings that are more conservative theologically and culturally, mm-hmm. uh, it seems to be the the place uh, where there's a lot of fear and where for a lot of folks to start to change your mind, change your heart, um, really just seems to kind of break the dam open. Would it be fair to say that there would be a time in your life when you would not have imagined <laughs> doing the kind of doing the kind of work that you're doing now? Oh yes, yes, indeed. I never ever in my life would have imagined that I would be here having this type of conversation. Mm. So where did this, so where did this all start for you? Um, well, the short story is um, I'm married with two children. I have two boys and our youngest son, Parker is part of the reason why we're here today is uh, he's gay and he spent his entire life trying to have that conversation with me. And um, I didn't allow him the space or the converse or the vocabulary to have that conversation. And I thought it was a phase. Um, we have raised both boys in a church, uh, a non-affirming uh, church that was within walking distance of our home. We were there every time the church doors were open. We knew uh, the scriptures. We had wonderful fellowship there. Uh, we served the community there and uh, for the better part of 20 years. And then suddenly, uh, when our youngest son, Parker, turned 21, he said, Mom, I met someone and I need you to be okay about it. And that was the day that I faced 
the reality that my son is gay and he faced the reality that, um, yeah, or he faced his biggest fear, which was me because, you know, we absorbed this idea that homosexuality is wrong, that it's condemnable, that I believed that my son was going to hell and I was frozen in that fear. And, um, I didn't know where to look for resources. I thought I was the only mom with a gay kid, uh, being a woman of faith. And as I tried to, you know, talk with my peers and colleagues at the church, it seemed the more I learned about homosexuality and, uh, the history and the science and became affirming of my son, my testimony became less and relationships changed and just dynamics, um, changed dramatically. So uh, it was a process. I say that when Parker came out of his closet, I went into mine and I, I had to reconcile. I tried to reconcile my faith with a loving God to how can you condemn my son knowing, you know, excuse me, that, you know, he loved the Lord and, um, you know, had his own faith journey that he was on. And so I just couldn't reconcile those two things. So, and I didn't know where to look for resources, but that journey took us from the church to the pride parade. And I found other moms like me and families like ours. I found faith-based resources that helped me search the matter out. I learned about things like the history of human sexuality and science, but ultimately what it was that really convinced me and, uh, determined in my mind that homosexuality is not wrong is when I heard testimonies from gay Christians. And those, um, when I met the community, my husband and I stood with our son at the Oklahoma City Pride Festival in 2014, and that was my first intentional interaction with the gay community. And I I found them, I just fell in love and I found this to be a beautiful spirit-filled community who longed for a sense of belonging. And um, it it was a profound time in my life as a woman of faith and in our life as a family and certainly my son. And so I I got plugged in and that was in 2014. And, I love that, and, I, uh, and Malika Lance, feel free, of course, to jump in any place here. I just, I, I love though that, and I feel like this is so common in almost mm-hmm. every story I hear about this kind of theological journey. I think for most of us, that you know, you read books and you come into other ways of thinking about scripture and theology, mm-hmm. and life, and those things that challenge your mind are helpful. But it always seems like. First, it's a more intuitive journey, and there's something in particular about the the undeniable witness of the Spirit mm-hmm. that we see in in real people. That more so that, that that's more overwhelming than any of the of, of the head stuff. Absolutely, yes. Uh, I'm no scholar or theologian. Um, I also wrote a book about how I just got through it. I just it was for myself, really. I I didn't think it would have the impact or have the uh, response that it has, but it's uh, titled How We Sleep at Night, A Mother's Memoir. And I just wrote about how I got through this as a mom, a woman of faith living in Oklahoma. And um, so that the book, I, you know, I do say I'm not a scholar or a theologian because I just felt like I maybe wasn't equipped to be even talk on spiritual things or things that 
in regards to uh, scripture or um, or just the power of the Holy Spirit in that degree. And there's a chapter in the book that uh, is called "What's in My Head," and I I really I really considered taking that chapter out several times. I thought, oh, I'm just that was being so transparent. But I thought, how can I leave a chapter out of the book that was the the hinge, like you said, it was it was everything that I believed, everything that I knew about scripture and the power of the Holy spirit and the God that I've come to know and that I talked to my children about. And that that was journey. So I, I ended up keeping that chapter in the book, but looking back now, there's so many things that even have evolved from that. If that makes sense from that chapter that I said, I anyway, and I didn't leave anything out. I didn't leave anything out. I thought, how could I, when that's the very cusp of what got me through it. That's so beautiful. I, um, you know, I love the part that you're saying when you, you fell in love with the community, I can say, you know, my best friend, my mom is part of the LGBTQIA community. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I, as I was definitely not raised in church. So coming into the church, I would always kind of feel like, you know, so much of what I see didn't match mm. the person of Jesus. But one of the things that just blew me away the most was my, in 2010, my mom had a heart attack. Um, and <laughs> the community who loves her was at the hospital. There were, I mean, literally about 30 to 40 um people in the waiting room. And then by the time 12 days later, when I brought her home, people had come over and they had potted plants and they've done the garden. And this community is so gracious and loving and having, you know, been agnostic and then going into what is a, you know, out of trauma, birth out of trauma, this very fundamental, um, evangelical kind of situation. I never saw that kind of authenticity in the church. And, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I was one of the people on the care team who would go to the hospital. You know, I would deliver food, but I, I never saw that spontaneity, that that organic um, love to ensure. And I realized this is a community that's been often disconnected from family and they've become family and they're operating um, this community as the church meeting the needs. And so I, I can totally resonate with that. Um, just falling in love, particularly with the Oklahoma City uh, gay community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, I just wish that, that more of these conversations started at this point um, where it's just about people's personal testimony. Mm-hmm. And I think so often our culture uh, has just gotten so, for lack of a better term, just judgy and ready to call out other people's supposed sins. And we'll sit there and debate about the merit of their relative sinfulness, right? Mm. But then all the while, we just forget that there's seven plus billion people on this planet that are loved by God. Mm-hmm. And Malika did a beautiful job um, this past Sunday talking about Hagar and the first person to name God. He sees me. And there's not a single solitary person that we run into that God doesn't see. Mm. And if we worked off of those types of conversations, 
goodness, I think that that would change a lot more people's minds because, you know, I've, I've, I've had conversations and I've had, you know, correspondence with people about the, the minutia, you know, getting stuck in the weeds of this verse and that verse and this verse, but the, the people that have changed me the most and the people that, you know, bless God, I have been able to interact with and hopefully had some sort of impact. It's all just people realizing I'm a fellow human being Mm, that I am a person that is loved and known by God. And that is undeniable, right? Even in my own testimony, because as Jonathan mentioned, you know, I came from a very, very conservative in every meaning background, um, theologically, politically, everything. And as I started to deconstruct and come out, like at the same time, I didn't work off of those theological things. You know, Mm -hmm. I could have, I had all the training, you know, um, but I just did it whenever I'm like, okay, is this okay? Is God okay with this? I didn't, I didn't put my nose in my Bible, which there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but I had to look back at my entire life because I grew up knowing about Jesus, you know, knowing him, being in church every time the door was open. So I, you know, I had encounters, real authentic Mm -hmm. Hagar encounters with God all throughout my life where I know God sees me, God loves me. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I had to work from. And I think that that really changes the dynamic of these conversations, you know? It's good. So good, Lance. I'm wondering um, and Lance, Sarah, I would love to, to ask both of you about this, um, just as you talk about, and I know that your stories are not the same, but since you came from very similar kind of backgrounds, um, and Lance, I know we've talked about this before. I just feel like this is something, you know, even when we hear from people that are still, um, kind of processing, what to do with issues for themselves of sexuality and faith. I find that consistently one of the things I hear the most is just how scary it is that to, to change how you think about any of this often means such real social consequences mm. in the communities that you come from. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, as much as you, you know, would want to bring everybody else along on a journey with you, no matter how eloquent you are or theologically informed or whatever, everybody's not going to make the leap. And, and there's, there is real cost associated. And I would just love to hear both of you speak to that a little bit about what it's just been like to navigate the, just that, that changing kind of shifting nexus of relationships Mm -hmm. as you, as you start to become more public about this, this journey that God's taken you on, what the cost has been mm-hmm. like trying to navigate rejection and not always having the same place in some of the circles that once were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, you know, I put up a Facebook post a couple of days ago that that's really been six years in the making, five years in the making where I said, if I show you the life giving, liberating, loving Jesus, while at the same time being my most true and authentic self, I'm doing my job. Mm. Um, and that came on the cusp of a really, really unexpected private message that I got from a childhood friend, um, more of an acquaintance, just grew up together, went to high school together. Um, 
and they were the most homophobic <laughs> person I have ever met. Mm. Uh, but then they messaged me and said that they were exploring their sexuality and mm. you know, they come also from a really insert are in large part still in those spaces of those conservative evangelical fundamentalism circles. Um, and they said that the things that I've been saying and, and my own journey has helped to inspire them to um, explore who they really are. And several, I mean, I, I can't count the, the times that that has happened. Mm -hmm. When those were the people five or six years ago, whenever I was first coming out, that were breaking those relationships, that were messaging me nasty things mm -hmm. in, 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 you know, good Christianese. Oh, I'm praying for you, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's been probably about 50, 50, where it's been people that have said, you've helped me to realize it's okay for me to explore my sexuality. But then, yeah, and that's great. I love that. I, I, I want to be a liberating voice in people's lives. But even more so, it's been people who have asked me, hey, I'm wanting to, if they use this term or not, I want to deconstruct from these harmful things that I believe. Can you help me? Can you point me toward resources? So they're wanting to become allies. Mm. So, but if five years ago, I would have just written those people off, I would be doing to them what they had done to me. Mm. Wow. Um, and I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to be a person that is going to exclude somebody that excluded me. Now I'm going to pull back from that toxic relationship. I'm going to put up boundaries, but I'm never going to anathematize them. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say, okay, I'm cutting you off 100%. You can go to hell in a handbasket for all mm -hmm. I care because that's exactly what they were doing to me. Yeah. And then five or six later, you know, five or six years later, the spirit of God had already done in them what I, what I wish would have happened five years ago, but I would never have been able to see that or experience that or be a part of that story if I would have done to them what they did to me. That's never going to be part of my, my, my MO. Mm, so beautiful, Lance. Yeah, for, for me, I, could, I probably would only add that it was devastating in the beginning. Uh, mm -hmm. Absolutely devastating to me as relationships became more um, alienated and separated. And as I would try to confide with those that we had served for 20 years, funerals, weddings, births of our children, uh, really, really difficult times. And then suddenly this was what, you know, would cause such division. And I look back and I think there's two things. They, the fellowship that we were in, we did a lot of wonderful things. I don't want to discredit the fellowship of believers that we had there. We served the community. We did, you know, we saw wonderful things happen in the lives of the fellowship there. Um, so, you know, I don't want to take away from that, but in my son coming out and the division that that caused, I don't have, there might be one person from that 20 year service together that I still have relationships with. And that's very vague very vague. Wow. So mm -hmm. what happened at, at first in my advocacy or as my allyship, and some people refer to me as an accidental activist, because as I became more aware of what was happening between the non-affirming church and the community, mm -hmm. um, I, I was accountable to those things. And I would not necessarily call them out, but I would 
you know, shine a light on it. So what happened was, is that people from that life or that part of that time in our lives, they would want to come and be a part of free mom hugs to pray over people, to minister. And it's like, no, no, unless you are fully affirming, mm-hmm. you're not going to be at a free mom hugs table. Mm-hmm. Unless you are celebrating the spiritual gifts and the individual and recognizing same-sex marriage is holy, then you are not going to be at this table. But in the very beginning, all the resources that I found that helped me, I would try to share with my colleagues, the pastors, the youth pastors. I I had a project that I called The Table, interestingly enough. But I would invite non-affirming pastors to the table with uh, gay pastors and offer these resources. But guess what? I couldn't get the non-affirming pastors to the table, mm. no matter what I tried. Mm. And so rather than forcing that to happen, I started to put all my time and energy into the community and the, and the affirming church. And that mm-hmm. proved more fruitful. It was mm. more, uh, empowering and lasting and you saw real change in the lives of those who have been alienated from their families and their church homes and from society and so that's where our energy went and as we started moving in that way it became more attractive and i don't mean that in the worldly side of way i mean it became more fruitful it became Mm. more attractive in the sense that it's good this is good movement it's good uh participation and so that's what made it so attractive. And by serving the community and their families, it the ripple effect of that is going into the church. But what I would have done to have heard someone like Lance or like Malika or Jonathan or my, even myself in my own place of worship, in my workplace, to have someone like me go and speak at my, you know, at the time, uh, my son's school, what that would have done to have changed the dynamic of what we went through, you see. Yeah, that's so good. It's so good, Sarah. Yeah. It's a hard, it's a hard journey, but I'm just, I can't imagine being any other way. And like Lance said, a lot of the members from the community, they'll, they'll come to like, for example, I just heard from a, a beautiful mother uh, and their child just uh, came out as transgender and suddenly mm. we all hear from them and they're looking for resources and support. And I'm happy to, I'm so happy to offer that because, uh, you know, children on the spectrum, on this community, just add a wonderful dynamic to a family that should be celebrated and recognized. Um, Absolutely. So you try to still stay approachable because I can't, but, you know, like Lance said, there's, I call them scoffers, you know, like I, I'm not going to, waste my pearls on people who are not interested in at least being on the fence with me. And, uh, but I learned that the hard way by really arguing or debating. And it's like, that's just wasted wasting my pearls. So anyway, that's such a good word, Sarah. I feel like, <laughs> you know, I've spent so much sideways energy and so much frustration because I just think around these conversations, there really is the sense that, Hey, when people are ready to go on a spirit-led journey, then they do. But it's almost like you can't see until it's time to see. It's typically typically have to be broken open by some kind of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And every time I've kind of gone in with my sort of, I don't know, like intellectual theological hat with this idea that I'm gonna, you know, change people's minds. <laughs> I just feel like I've wasted a lot of 
a, a lot of energy in that in that way. Um, you know, to, to lean in a little bit more on with with free mom hugs, mm-hmm. and I love that whole story. I'd love to to talk a little bit more just about well, on the one hand, just the just, just the pain specifically within the community and I feel like you know well at the table too um because it feels like almost everybody connected to us has been on some kind of a significant journey theologically and I feel like one of the things we hear so routinely is people feeling like they don't have elders don't have the blessing of any kind of an elder in their life and the pain of that of not feeling like that there's um fathers and mothers what what specifically initiated that whole free mom hugs for you like mm-hmm. where where did you see that 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 whole what what pushed you there and what have you learned specifically through through that experience of of, of physically holding <laughs> in this way yeah well um if you recall in 2014 again that's when my husband and i stood with parker and his friends at the pride festival and then uh through that year from 2014 to 2015 i started meeting more you know people from the community and getting plugged in with with p flag and youth groups and by this time we're a small chapter in oklahoma city of moms and dads and friends and allies and we're just trying to be a loving presence in the lives of those who have been alienated and separated. And so it might be a bus pass here. We might plan an event for the transgender community or serve you know, at the second chance prom. Um, and I also served on the Oklahoma City Pride Board uh, mm. for a year. So all of those things led up to, in 2015, I made a homemade button with the words free mom hugs. And I went to the Pride Festival and I stood there and with anyone who made eye contact with me, I'd say, could I offer you a free mom hug? And the first young uh, person, it was a woman, I gave a hug to and she whispered in my ear that it had been four years since she got a hug from her mother because she's a lesbian. And it was that moment that I thought this this needs to happen. And I knew it. And so that's what that from that experience, we started free mom hugs. I'm not the first mom to offer free mom hugs at a pride festival. But from that experience, we started the nonprofit. And since then, what I hear the most are uh, members of the community just just being uh, devastated by the separation of their family, their church homes, and a real loss in the in the beginning of the separation of a sense of sense of belonging Mm. and it's just devastating i mean i'm almost crying because i think all of those things all of those stories are at the forefront of my mind with everything that i do i mean right now it's looking really good free mom hugs has chapters in every state Mm. and we're planning a pride ride a national pride ride we've had uh, you know, a historic virtual tour, and all of that is wonderful. But the reality is that people are dying, mm-hmm. that they're self-harming, they're suicidal, they're at-risk behavior, they're lo- you know just lonely and 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 just full of anxiety. And when I see that, I mean, it's not something that it's just beyond a hug is what needs to happen. And anyway, it's it's just kind of traumatic, really. And I'm I haven't even lived through what they have, but I I can't 
think for too long and think about what I put my own son through, you know, how I missed an entire adolescence of his life by shaming him into, you know, throwing out his journals or checking himself at the door in his own home. You know, those are things that I have to live with and, and I regret, but we worked through them and I still have him, but you know, you have mothers burying their children because they couldn't have an authentic relationship with them. You see, so it's bittersweet, really. And um, so, to your question, it was it was a, a hug that started it, and mm-hmm. and now we really work at uh, just educating, advocating, and having conversations. And so, it's so beautiful. It's a very holy moment, I feel, (laughs) in this space and in this conversation. I will say in regards to just people who are dying, I feel I became more of a public ally because I I was in the church, even though I had deconstructed a lot of my views around sexuality and hell and a lot of things that I just thought were right. I wasn't ready to give up relationships. Um, One of my best friends, however, chose to to come out and i and i publicly supported this person mm-hmm. um but i think it was finding out that lgbtqia youth were four times more likely to commit suicide that i realized that this isn't just a personal decision of whether i'm going to be public this is a life or death situation mm-hmm. and if being a part of a church that is not affirming is killing people then i can't be a part of that mm-hmm. um, and i think that's so much of the issue and yes theologically i've been to seminary i could I can theologically go there with you. I can talk about sexuality and that there hasn't been, you know, this whole concept of dualistic gender, you know, throughout the ages and all of that. And I love, you know, indigenous spirituality, which celebrates uh, people who are, um, they call them two-spirited people. Like I love all of that. But I think when we start to look at how, the, and, and Lance will talk about this, but just that bad theology kills. If people mm-hmm. are dying because of our dualistic ideas of gender, then yeah, I can't be just privately supporting somebody. It has to be a public statement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't just know that um, bad theology kills people, you know, ab- like from the abstract, like All I've right. been there, you know, <laughs> um, I've been in that dark night of the soul. several times for several weeks, if not months on end um, in the early stages of my deconstruction and, um, and my coming out, which uh, in hindsight, I don't know if I would have done that again, deconstruct my faith and come out at the same time, because it was almost like uh, two deaths in a way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where this whole life that I thought I was building for myself um, and, you know, I'm not going to name drop it. Like I knew and was studying under being mentored by a really, really prominent pastor, you know, and I'm like, okay, I, that's, that's the trajectory of my life. Theologically, I was in those circles deep. Um, so to lose that, but then to also come out at the same time was a death in its own way, not just in myself, but immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been healed and is another part of my testimony, but you know, I, I came out 
and lost an entire side of my family that I didn't see for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was another death. But then praise God that through like it was almost a double resurrection in a way that I don't regret at all. It was hard. Goodness, it was hard. It was like being flayed twice over, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but that's why I'm just so passionate about these issues. Um, and I don't I remember who said it, but oh, yeah, it, yeah, I was staring, you know, not not giving your pearls to people that aren't going to cherish them that has helped me to realize that that is what the mission, like my mission is mm-hmm. about. It's mm-hmm. what my, like, I think the mission of the church should be you know, like, we're not just being hoity floaty when we say, you know, we're not going to give our pearls to people that aren't going to cherish them. There's a whole parable that Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like the wheat and the tares. They grow together, but focus on, focus on the wheat, not the weeds. Right. <laughs> um, there's always going to be haters out there and God's going to deal mm-hmm. with them, you know, and hopefully they'll see. And like Jesus says, let your good work shine before men. So that when they see you, they glorify their father who's in heaven. So I don't have time for those kind of conversations anymore with people that are just, they have walls and they don't even think in the same categories as me. They don't, they don't, it's almost like a whole different religion. Now, mm-hmm. do I want them to come? Do I want them to come to a, a life giving, liberating experience with a living God? Of course I do, but God's going to have to do that. Not me <laughs> because I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like put my time and my effort into those people that are on the fence at minimum, just like Sarah said, but then really almost a ministry of apostleship to a community that is right for the harvest. There are people that I have met in drag and had mm. wonderful, fruitful conversations with mm-hmm. and I'm going to have those kind of conversations, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to have those kind of conversations that are bad for my mental health that put me back into a place of trauma. And that based on real like cognitive <laughs> dissonance, they're never going to, you can't argue somebody into reconciliation. You just can't. Mm-hmm. I've seen that all throughout my life. It's just, you have to work where the spirit of God is going and hope that the spirit of God carries those, those people along. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I agree. I, and Malika, I'm sorry. Did I interrupt you, honey? No, no. I was just amening. <laughs> I'm a big amener. <laughs> okay. Well, don't, don't let me overrun you. But, I mean, Lance just really um, hit the nails on the head. Like, and I have to share a story if I could. Uh, it was gay days at the baseball field. Okay. This was pre COVID obviously. And it was gay days uh, downtown at the baseball field. And so a small group, you know, the Oklahoma chapter of free mom hugs, there's probably about, I don't know, five of us free mom huggers went down to the baseball game and we, you know, had our sign, our free mom hug sign. And there's kids there and they have their pride flags on. It's a beautiful evening in Oklahoma city and we're just enjoying our time. And suddenly my eye catches a group of people that didn't know that it was gay days at the baseball field. Mm. And those, that's where I thought these are scoffers. They're scoffing. Like they were over there in their corner and they were scoffing at us. Like they didn't get the memo that it's gay days. Right. And they mm. you could just see the, 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 Oh, the scowl on their face of disapproval. And so at, in that moment, it, there was a time that I might have approached them and say, you seem visibly upset about something, you know, what's going on. 
and tried to have that dialogue. But at that moment, something clicked in my brain and it said to myself, I am not here for you. I'm not here for them. Mm. And then I looked directly at the youth group that, you know, we were, you know, just pouring into. And I thought, that's who we're here for. Mm. And that just saved my mind from from those types of situations, but we still want to be approachable, certainly, uh, because it's real easy to get bitter and cynical. I've been there, done that. And then, uh, but I also have to realize that me being a a white, straight, blonde haired uh, woman, that I can go into the Southern Baptist convention, whereas my transgender uh, friend would not be welcomed or certainly not received. So, um, and then last thing uh, I've, Remember the first time I went into the boom. Are you familiar with the boom on 39th street? Mm-hmm. By the way, I love 39th street, um, <laughs> but I went to the boom and I walked in and I really, for a second, I thought lightning was going to strike. This was early on in my walk, but I had been invited there. And so I did, I went and it was to a drag show. And let me tell you, I sat in my seat and I cried hot tears at this beautiful expression of human sexuality Mm. and the camaraderie and they were raising money for a youth shelter. I mean, that, if that's not church, I don't know what was, but, um, so a lot of learning lessons that I've learned and things that just helped me kind of keep things in perspective. Mm. So good. That's so wonderful, Sarah. And Lance, I love what you were sharing. And I, and, you know, I say that about, you a lot to other people and i don't say that of course in a way to not give space for people who might be in a place on their journey where there are bitter because you know that's Mm. those seasons are important and there are reasons to feel what you feel but lance like i've seen that in such an extraordinary way in your life is like coming from some of the spaces that you do and experiencing some of the things that you've experienced like, I feel like you're the least bitter person that I know, you know, it's like <laughs> the the level of tenderness and openness. And even what you said earlier about um, refusing to, you know, reject people who have rejected you and all that. I, I just see that so consistently within the LGBTQ community in a way that, you know, again, that's been one of those markers for me of this truly being where the spirit of God is moving is how is it even possible that where there is this much trauma uh, and there's been this much uh, being cut off from family and all these horrible stories we hear about in church, that much tenderness and beauty and forgiveness that I just never cease to be dazzled by it. It was, you know, it's and uh, I want to give the caveat, um, just like Sarah did. Um, that is not something that is a hundred percent there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are moments when, you know, very, very clear moments when I have let anger and rage and bitterness get a hold of me, you know, and there have been times when I've struggled, you know, after January 6th, like is, you know, all that, that was kind of a watershed moment for me, um, spiritually. Um, you know, seeing those crosses there with nooses on them, mm-hmm. you know, where I had, where I was just, I just was filled with rage, but, uh, it has to, that for me always has to lead to a greater release because there's something there that's triggering to me. There's something there that is bringing me back to a place of trauma. And if that cultivates in me, 
I'm going to be bitter because I think that there's a difference between anger and bitterness Mm -hmm. and vengeance. Anger is really healthy. It really is. And you're, you're not going to hear that in many churchy spaces because people take those, those little verses out of context. Don't be angry. It it's, it's a process. You have to mm-hmm. let yourself work through that process of grief. Mm-hmm. And anger is the first stage, right? So you know, you have to let yourself go through that. But then if that metastasizes and that turns into bitterness, you're, you're holding that in. And then that can lead to vengeance, which leads to harm, right? Mm-hmm. That is what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to say I'm not going to be angry. Mm-hmm. I get angry a lot. Um, half the time, more than half the time about things I shouldn't be angry about. Right. But I'm not going to let that turn into bitterness. And I'm sure as hell not going to let that turn into rage and, and, and vengeance that gives me a vendetta. Right. Mm. Be- but that came from a, a place where all I had at that time was anger. I didn't have any other options. So I want to make space for those people that are angry. It all happens Mm -hmm. in in different times. That anger is good and it's healthy. It's like, you know, um, you know, I'm sitting out here in my, in my backyard in upstate New York and you just got trees for like, as far as I can see, they're all baby trees. So how do I know that they're cause they're pine trees. They weren't planted here, Mm -hmm. but a wildfire must've happened for that pine cone to release, right? There's some things that anger, like that fire of anger has to come out for you to be able to experience something that's more beautiful and more holy. You know, if you've ever seen a couple of years after a wildfire, it's just beautiful. But while the fire is raging, you never would have thought that would happen, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So now five years down the road, um, which I thank God that this, this happened as I was deconstructing, but as I'm coming out, I'm rediscovering Mm -hmm. the good news again, Mm. you know, and, uh, I've, I've, I've put this out into messages so much, you know, it's almost like I I could just rehearse it. But for me, it's, I came to a faith that was more beautiful than what I had before, Mm -hmm. just by realizing all means all right. Right. That when Paul, he says that Christ through his through the blood of the cross, this is in Colossians one, he reconciles all things to himself, right? Whenever Jesus says that there are sheep that are not of this fold, you know, mm-hmm. all throughout um, the scriptures, you see make these broad brushstrokes where everybody like in, uh, Paul in Romans five in Adam, all died in Christ. All are made alive. All means all that mm-hmm. doesn't just mean me. That means the people that hate me. And so I, I was experiencing this, this resurrection of my faith. And then that led me to see those people in that same circle that I was in that circle of all means all where God loves all people, that all people are invited into the kingdom of God. And that kept me from wanting to kill them, you know, Um, (laughs) for lack of a better term, right? Right. Like not physically kill them, but you know, like just being so angry at somebody, I wouldn't care if they died. Right. Like, right. I think that's, that's the type of anger Jesus is talking about. Like if you anger, you murder, you know, like that's often used like, okay, we shouldn't ever get angry. No, you shouldn't let your anger get to a point where you're like, those people could be murdered right now. And I wouldn't even care yeah. that, right. that, that, that fresh revelation of God's love led me to see myself in the same shoes as those other people and vice versa. That's yeah. really powerful. The I think if we think about the five stages of grief and having been separated from my 15-year um, faith community on this issue and other issues regarding race and gender, and um, 
I don't know anybody who doesn't get angry that isn't still in denial. You know, you cannot skip that second stage. You know, you go from denial to anger to bargaining, and then there's depression, and then there's acceptance. And even, we even can see Jesus, you know, in all of those stages from thinking it's only this group of people to marveling at the um, woman who's not a part of the the group to all of these different stages. And, I, and so I see people who are angry, and I agree, there just has to be space there has to be space for anger. And I think that's one of the reasons why the church, particularly we'll say conservative, but we could also say bigoted is, um, is kind of not um, at all able to be relevant to society is because they're in denial. And that's, that's what I think when it comes to uh, what you were saying, Sarah, with science and just uh, the reality regarding um, the scriptures being so much more collective and not this individualistic moral kind of purity code. It's the scriptures were Eastern and they were about collective sin, which was almost always injustice. Yeah. Has not, it, it, until the church gets out of denial and moves into the anger stage. Yeah. And I mean, not every church, because there are some really great churches who aren't in denial. I don't think that that church, the the conservative or whatever we want to call it, mm-hmm. is going to be relevant in what the mission of Christ is to the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and because it's a it's just a self fulfilling prophecy. It goes back to what Sarah said about fear, because that is just a fear response. One of my mentors early on in my in my coming out process, he said all change is loss, and all loss must be grieved. And so they're seeing this change from 1950s patriarchal culture, Mm -hmm. you know, and that triggers a fear response, which, you know, I think can kind of humanize them a little more for us. Right. We don't want to demonize our enemies. Um, It's just the power uh, the power of fear and ignorance versus the power of love and education. Right. Yeah. And I think when you Malika, you're, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, dear. No, the, no, but that was the, it. Yeah, go ahead. The, the way that I distinguish the two is affirming or non-affirming. A non-affirming church will not celebrate the spiritual gifts of the community and not recognize same-sex marriage as holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, an affirming church will allow my transgender friend to work in the nursery if they feel called to that and recognize uh, same-sex marriage as holy. It's really very simple, and it's down to that. So you have the non-affirming church and the affirming church. And I used to believe, and I used to even say this, that until we hear a different message from the pulpit, will we see changes in the world around us? But the more, as as time goes by, I feel like the the more we we educate and lift up and celebrate this community, at the ripple effect of that, you know. Um, in fact, in Oklahoma, conversion therapy is still legal, sought out, and paid for. And uh, have, you know, the, probably the majority of Oklahomans have no idea, either because they're not in church or they're not, you know, familiar with the process, or they just they've never had to even think about it. I didn't know that my straight son had more rights than my gay son until you know I was just oblivious to that stuff. Right, and. Um, and now we're facing the Equality Act, where my son can even be uh, refused health care, um, housing, uh, even refused service in a public space, simply for who he is. And we're having to, to, you know, 
debate that now. So um, until we hear a different message, and that is just bringing awareness to it, being vocal about it, being visible, mm-hmm. and we're accountable. We're accountable to what we know now. That's so good, Sarah. Yeah, and for me, that's why, you know, on the topic of inclusion, um, you know, I, it, I don't know if it's a pet project of mine for some reason, but, you know, like we can always kind of laser zoom in on LGBTQ plus issues when we talk about inclusion, but mm. that's the great thing about doing life and doing the work of faith in a marginalized community as your eyes are, are, are starting to open to your own marginalization, oh, yes. they're open to other people. So that's why for me, I'm just as much of an advocate for full LGBTQ inclusion in church and, and society, but also for mm-hmm. our BIPOC folks, for women in mm-hmm. the church and in society. That leads me to be a feminist of feminists. You know, mm-hmm. that's why I love doing drag. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's something for me that helps me celebrate femininity, mm-hmm. you know, um, even if it's not my own, you know, I'm a, I'm a cis man, but um, celebrating women and including them in the church, right? Because those, like, <laughs> um, my first experience at the table um, was the first time that I heard a woman preach from the pulpit. Wow. And I, I, and I was two years down the road of my deconstruction. But for me, that was the first time that I wasn't in a complementarian setting. Wow. Um, you know, I was in an Episcopal church, which is an egalitarian denomination, but our, our rector was a man, you know, so I never heard a woman preach. And it was just something for me that was like, wow. Um, I came into this space for its, uh, church clarity stamp, but I, I was, I was thrown into the pool of, women should be and it's good you know because i was i had already mentally assented to that idea right that women were just as equal as men in, in in the church but for me that my eyes were open then and it, it became okay inclusion is so much bigger than just allowing mm-hmm. me into the church it's our bipoc folks mm-hmm. it's the people that have been historically um and 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 still even um still today marginalized in the church in a lot of spaces women and people of color um, and indigenous peoples. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's so much bigger inclusion. Whenever you have that all means all mindset, everybody's included, not just people that look and think like me and that are in my marginalized community, but how about these adjacent communities as well that are still persecuted? Right. Because I'm a white cis man, like in a lot of spaces, um, I, I'm not marginalized, Mm. you know, um, I'm not, well, some people might disagree, but half the time I just wear a hoodie and and, <laughs> and and gym shorts so i can walk into walmart and people aren't going to go okay this guy's gay mm. so for me i still i still retain a lot of that privilege um so that leads me to also say okay there's people that don't look and think like me even in my own community but then in these other adjacent marginalized communities that i need to advocate just as hard for them because we wouldn't have pride we wouldn't have gay rights if it wasn't for trans black women mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. you know in the 70s and 80s who, who who spearheaded this so i have to honor those those predecessors my ancestors in this movement you know because without them we wouldn't be here mm-hmm. that's so good yeah and like lance said once you're aware of it in one area one once your eyes are opened you see it in every area and you think mm-hmm. this is how we got into this mess right and um i know our our time is getting there but um 
I recently spoke to a fifth grade class, uh, which is the youngest group I've ever spoken to. Uh, they, one of the kids' parents, I guess, heard about free mom hugs, and the fifth grader was so intrigued that they asked their teacher if they could invite me to spend some time with them and share about how they could make their school safer and help their parents uh, accept their children. These are from, from fifth graders, right? So right. long story short is that at the end of our time together, it was very short and I kept my answers very simple. Um, but they said, what can we do to help our schools and our families, you know, get along better? And I said, you can be a good friend and pretend like everyone has a sticky note on their forehead that says, I'm treat me like I'm special, celebrate me. Mm. And the crux to that is when we pretend, you know, imagine everyone has a sticky note on their forehead that reads celebrate me and you do that and you celebrate them. Well, before long, they'll start celebrating you. And that's the idea that they'll, it just works together to make the world, you know, better for everyone. And anyway, if I, um, I try to remember that as I'm, you know, speaking or, or any, with anyone. That's so beautiful. Yeah. So I love that story. And Lance, I love what you shared. And I think it, I love how it kind of brings things full circle on this whole mm-hmm. topic of inclusion, because I think, you know, even well to what I was saying before, like this is the only issue of inclusion, but why I think it's so central, I think precisely because, people's kind of cultural presuppositions about sexuality are so mm-hmm. deeply ingrained. There is this sense, you know, like, hey, well, if I were to, ch- if I were to change my mind here, and I know more significantly open my heart here, then, well, that would change everything. Well, they're not wrong about that. <laughs> it doesn't mean everything's going to burn down. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean it's, it's, it's beautiful, but it does change an awful lot of things. And I yeah. think precisely, I think in that regard, where people are afraid that to change is going to mean um, kind of reevaluating everything. Well, you're probably right to be afraid of that because you will reevaluate everything because that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. Is that you know I think some of the, some of these ideas in particular, like this is it's it, it, it's almost on a DNA level for a lot of us in America. And once some of this starts to be unearthed and the spirit deals with this here, it opens us up to so many other kinds of stories that we also haven't been willing to hear. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, thinking of what Lance was saying about not hearing women speak, I remember one time at the table, not even noticing it, every single one of our MCs was a woman except for our worship leader. And I just threw out the joke because I think, Jonathan, you were out of town. And I said, I just want everyone to know we do think that men can preach. <laughs> of, I was like, we're not one of those churches. <laughs> and then it was just like the absurdity of that statement goes for every possible group or any individual person the fact that the body of christ the church would exclude any group of people from doing any part of their calling is absurd and and you know it was just when i said that i just realized this is crazy to think that we would keep anybody at all time who bears the image of god who Mm -hmm. jesus um loves and redeems from any part of the ministry or the church itself Mm -hmm. but yeah I'm really, uh, I'm so, so grateful to have you guys telling your stories. And um, Sarah, I just, we were so excited that you were coming on. We honor your story. We honor your work. Um, We just want you to know that we love you. And um, 
we love your heart and your ministry and your calling. And we're just so grateful for you. And of course, Lance, he's Dr. Lancey Pants and he is <laughs> a gift straight from heaven it was, that came to the table. And I don't know where we'd be without you, Lance. We love you so much. Mm-hmm. Love you guys too. Well, I hope to meet from you afar. in person someday. Oh, yes, yes. Our paths never cross. If you ever find yourself in the city, please let me know. I'd love to see you. And um, I just appreciate the platform. And, you know, I do believe people want to do something and and to inspire each other um, is just so, so wonderful. And I know I feel lighter. So thank you. Um, oh, and Sarah, would you just share a little bit, if anybody's listening, if anybody's struggling, if anybody's, will you just give some ways people can get in touch with uh, yes. Free Mom Hugs and, and resources? That would be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, we have a website, freemomhugs.org, and we have resources there. Um, and if you are uh, looking for a chapter to join, just go to Free Mom Hugs and plug in your chapter and it, it or I'm sorry, plug in your state and that should pop right up or you can go to the website find your state and just get plugged in if you like the social media page that'll keep you in the loop of everything happening where you are and i always end with if you uh, can show up show up if you can pray then do that if you can give then give we are a nonprofit supporting 50 chapters and just working on advocating educating and uh, empowering the world to celebrate this beautiful community and uh, the dynamic that it brings to our world. And um, I just appreciate platforms like this and the work that you're doing. And I do believe that together, we really do make things better. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, we do so appreciate you, Sarah. Thank you for this just beautiful, gorgeous conversation. Mm-hmm. And I feel so, I just feel so lucky. I've been to be on this conversation with three people who inspire me, and that is a true uh, iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Yeah. Folks whose life makes me want to be a better person and Christian and follower of Jesus and all the things. So I just can't tell you how good this has been for my mm-hmm. own. That's been amazing. That's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Jonathan. <laughs> thank you friend and thank you for joining us for the table collective podcast we'll be back with you real soon